beautiful things come out of difficulty. And I know that it's so hard to see what those things might be when you're right in the midst of crisis. But I like to remind people, beauty will come out of this that you couldn't have anticipated. You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and this is episode 55. In this episode, I welcome Deborah Vogue. Deborah obtained her MBA from the MIT Sloan School of Management. She is a crisis navigation partner with over 30 years of experience as a leadership researcher, executive, and advisor. She conducted primary research at the Harvard Business School for an award-winning book, Breaking Through, The Making of Minority Executives in Corporate America. She has directed admissions and career development for the MIT Dual Degree MBA program, Leaders for Global Operations, and advised nine technology startups as Director of People Strategy for Cambridge Incubator. The Boston Globe profiled Deborah for her outstanding abilities to select talented candidates, motivate and develop employees, and resolve conflicts between people as well as organizations. Her work has been featured in publications like Forbes, Inc. and U.S. News and World Report. Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. So my listeners know that the Happy Doc Student Podcast exists to help you through the doctoral process. Mm -hmm. But some of my shows do this by speaking specifically to skills or tips or techniques that really just help you navigate life because your doctoral journey is happening while you're doing life. Right. So, Deborah, today we're going to talk about the three C's of navigating a crisis. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to start? Maybe it's helpful just to give a little bit of context for people about what I do and how I help people through crises. So, I am a crisis navigation partner. And if you haven't heard of a crisis navigation partner before, that's because I made it up myself. (laughs) And a crisis navigation partner is a designated confidential resource who helps people through so they can lead their way to the best possible outcome from experiencing a personal or business or professional crisis. So you're partnering through from the initial onset, this has happened, it's disruptive, I need to get back to business as usual. And for my listeners, I need to get back to business as usual so I can continue on with my graduate program. Yes. And you come and walk alongside them. Yes. And I provide emotional support, but I also provide things that can be helpful in addition to emotional support. So for example, I love research. And so people will give me research projects where they need to gather information quickly to help them make time-sensitive decisions during the crisis so they can outsource those to me. I also help people with preparing for their difficult communications, difficult conversations. Usually during crises, there are difficult conversations with medical providers or your partner or family members or 
people in the legal system could be lots of different kinds of people depending on the context of the crisis. But I help people talk through strategically what are their goals for those conversations, what are the desired outcomes, and what are the communication strategies to help them get there. In your list, there's a medical provider, the partner, but one that I think could be really relevant for my audience would be your dissertation or doctoral project chair or committee members. There are often difficult conversations, challenging conversations that need to happen after a crisis. For example, your qualifying exam isn't passed, your proposal isn't passed, your IRB application is not accepted. Conversations that happen during this process could be very emotionally charged and considered a crisis by many students. Yes, especially when it throws you off the path. You know, I was on track to finish this marker this month so that by the end of next year, I can get to that marker. Well, I didn't finish this marker for whatever reason. What does this mean for the longer path? Incredibly stressful. I am taking a course right now with Brene Brown. And just this morning was watching one of her videos where she talked about building trust. And in her research, she she asked something like for your direct reports or for people who report to you. So we could think about this in the academic context too, with academic supervision, what behaviors from your direct reports build trust with you, the supervisors. And consistently she heard when they ask for help. Mm. When they make themselves vulnerable, when they say they need help, when they admit that, that increases my trust in them. And I thought that was so fascinating because having been on the end of needing to ask for help, I know that it's our tendency to assume people will think that we're less capable or less trustworthy or less reliable because we need help. So that doesn't really have to do with my plan topic of the day. (laughs) No, but it's such an interesting segue. I want to spend just a couple more seconds on it because a dissertation or a doctoral project for most listeners, this is the first time you've done this. So faculty would expect you to have questions, but what we see time and time again is exactly what Deborah just explained. There is sometimes a fear that I should already know this. And so you don't ask the question. I'm constantly encouraging students to advocate for themselves and please let your faculty members know when you need help. But here's just another reason why asking for help can benefit you because it's going to build trust with the faculty that you're working with. So I love that. Yeah, isn't that so fascinating? One of my friends was telling me her son is a first year doctoral student in chemistry and he didn't know how to do some of the things that relate to being a TA. And he was telling his mom, I just have to figure it out. I'm just going to tough it through. And she said, well, what about that fourth year student advisor you just got matched with recently? Maybe you should ask him. And he was initially so resistant. No, I should know how to do these things. Of course, he's never been a PhD student before. He had never been a TA as part of a graduate program before. He just graduated from college last year. So it's just fascinating to me how our tendencies as highly capable highly competent, smart people can often be to lean towards behaviors that really don't serve us in the long run because we are busy imagining what other people think of us. I get so excited about 
all the grounded research work that Brene Brown does because she has evidence to the contrary. So let's get into what those three keys are to getting through a crisis. And we've actually sort of been touching on some of them already. I can say that having been through some of my own crises and having coached a lot of clients the past couple of decades through personal and professional and business crises, I learned that there's really three keys to getting through them and that crisis is inevitable. The way I define a crisis is something that happens that throws you off your regularly scheduled programming, where you can't just stick to what you plan to do every day this week because whatever's happening is so important. It overtakes your daily studies, your classes, the chapters you're writing in your dissertation, et cetera. Hopefully, none of your listeners are actively in crisis. If they are, they can use the three C's. But I also realized from reflecting back on all these different crisis experiences that I've seen people through, these are all like muscles that we can work on building when things are pretty copacetic and everything is going along fine so that we'll be better prepared when those inevitable big life events happen that throw us off our game. I love that. So for the listeners who have been listening to many of the episodes, the way that Deborah is describing or defining a crisis is what Mark Woods called a red. So when something happens in your life where you have to stop and address this before you can go on to those other activities. And I love this idea of hey, okay, these skills will be applicable Mm -hmm. if you're currently in a crisis, but better yet, let's learn some techniques so that you build up this resiliency so you'll be more able to bounce back when that inevitable red pops up. Yes, exactly. So I have to go listen to that episode. That sounds sounds like what I definitely want to hear as soon as possible. The three keys I've noticed getting through a crisis or to preparing ahead to get through a crisis are communication, capacity, and community. As far as communication goes, there's so much, but one piece I like to focus on is the difficult conversations because I find with my clients, we spend a lot of time helping them prepare for those. So there's different kinds of difficult conversations. One is where you need to gather information or data. And for some reason, it's uncomfortable or challenging to do. Another kind is where you need to inform other people who are involved in your crisis about what's happening. And so the first one is you're asking them. The second one is you're telling them. And the third type of difficult conversation is where you need to negotiate to get what you want. And that might be from your mentor, from your academic advisor, might be from professional service providers. It might be from people in your personal life if you need support. So those are the three types of difficult conversations to things you need to ask, things you need to tell, or things that you need to work out with the other person. I have a process that I teach in a workshop called How to Win-Win Any Difficult Conversation to help people navigate through those conversations. But I think if you build your difficult conversation muscle, that is going to serve you throughout your program and through the rest of your career. 
Going back to Brene Brown again, she talks about integrity as choosing courage over comfort. So not only for dealing with crisis, but also for preparing for your career as a leader, an intellectual leader, an administrative leader, a classroom leader, preparing for those difficult conversations, I think is really powerful and useful. And the key word that stuck out to me as you were talking was this prepare, because I know often when something happens, it can be triggering. People will start a communication, a conversation, maybe it's over email, which I've seen that result in some very disastrous (laughs) outcomes, or maybe it is face to face, but they don't prepare for it. Yes. Yes. And think ahead about what is my ideal outcome from this? And what will the other person be looking for from me? And what am I looking for from the other person? Once you have intentions set and goals set, it gets easier to find the words and find the approach. So I always recommend people start with their intention and their goals as they're preparing. And that is a fantastic tip to all you students out there that need to have a conversation, whether it's with an academic advisor, a faculty mentor, or your partner, or someone else you're sharing space with, like your children. Here's this difficult conversation I have to have. What is the end goal? What's my intent with this conversation versus what I see a lot of times is just needing to let off some steam. Mm-hmm. or make sure that the other person knows how they're feeling about things. It's not really a conversation in that sense. Yes. And that's the difference between a win-win difficult conversation and a win-lose difficult conversation. A win-win dif- difficult conversation doesn't necessarily mean, if it's between you and me, that I get everything I want and you get everything you want. But it's win-win if we end that conversation wanting to have more conversation. If it strengthens in our relationship versus dissipates or destroys our relationship. Because if it's relationship destroying, that is lose-lose. The second C is capacity. Capacity is how much bandwidth do you have? How much time and how much energy do you have to show up? and tackle the crisis. And if you wait until a crisis to really look at your capacity, I think you'll be missing out. For people who are what we were describing before, bright people, highly competent, highly capable, we tend to stretch ourselves kind of thin and try to use up all of our capacity without leaving any leftover for space or spaciousness. So in the preparation mode, I encourage people to think about, are you at the top of your game right now? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing in terms of your executive functioning? Are you finding that you're forgetting things left and right? You can't find your keys. Are you finding that you're emotionally leaking, that your difficult conversation turns out to being a rant as opposed to something where you are meeting your goal? Really take the time to reflect and to check in with yourself and see where your capacity is right now. And then there's things you can do to increase your capacity now and once you're in crisis. 
one of the things you can do to prepare for a crisis is having contingency plans in place. So if you can imagine what that crisis might be, think about whatever its scale or scope is, what will it take you away from? And then build in contingency plans to deal with your regularly scheduled programming when your attention is diverted away from it. So for example, I have my own business. It's a corporation, but I am the number one, the number one, I'm the number one and then number one million. I'm the only one in my corporation. I have people who work with me on a contract basis, but I needed to imagine what if I couldn't run my business on a day-to-day basis? And I created a document so that the executor of my will, if I'm dead, or my assistant, if I'm alive, could turn to and know how to get in touch with my clients, who to communicate with, what technology systems to use. I get hit by a bus today. Someone's going to need to tell some people that I'm not going to show up for meetings tomorrow. So this document lays that out and gives people roles and responsibilities and the key people in my life have copies of that document. And I update it every six months. And it's kind of a pain to do it the first time, but it will increase your capacity phenomenally when you can say, here, follow this contingency plan, please, so-and-so, because I got to deal with this problem right now. Another thing you can do to expand your capacity is look at what's on your plate right now and really reflect on, does it absolutely have to be on here during this phase of my life, however you define that. Maybe it's, you know, during the phase of my doctoral program where I'm finishing my coursework. Maybe it's during the phase of my program where I'm writing the first draft of my dissertation. You define the phase, but look at everything that's on your plate and really ask yourself, does this absolutely have to be done right now? Can I possibly let it go? Is this an expectation that I don't have to hold of myself right now while I'm doing this huge phase of my doctoral program? Or is this something that I can't let go of it all together? It needs to get done, but can I delegate it to someone? Can I ask other people to support me? Third is, and I know this is counterintuitive because I've been there, add to your plate more self-care. Maybe you're listening to me out there in the world podcast listening land right now thinking, Deborah, I don't have time for more self-care. I just told you I have no capacity left. It's really some sort of magic when you make time to take care of yourself, your time somehow expands. Getting an escape from the intensity of your life, whether you're in crisis mode or not, increases your capacity to deal with the intensity when you get back to it. And so if that self-care is even a half an hour long, you're going to get that time back more than what you invested in it. Also adding more emotional support, whether that's talking to a therapist, whether that's having you know, dinner out with your partner, whether that's going for a walk with a friend, more emotional support. Yes, it takes time to go on that walk or go to that dinner or have that therapy session, but just like the other kinds of self-care, that time will come back to you. And then the easiest way to expand your capacity is to focus on your breathing. Even if you do it for one minute, just stop, 
pause, close your eyes and pay attention to your breath. I'm not suggesting that you need to implement a whole meditation practice into your life if you don't have one and do that right now. But just when things are getting really stressful, the biological positive impact of breathing is significant and more than I can explain because if I go get a PhD tomorrow, it will not be in any area of science, I assure you. <laughs> but it's it's there. The research shows the benefit of focusing on your breath and that can expand your capacity, whether you're in crisis or just some other kind of everyday intense situation. The breath is so important. And that comes up actually on a number of different episodes, Deborah. And so as we think about capacity and asking yourself right now, maybe you need to do a little reality check. Are you on top of your game? Maybe everyone just wants to do a collective happy doc student podcast audience deep breath. And maybe ask, what are some of those things that you can let go? What are some of the things that you can delegate? And anyone who's been listening to me for any length of time knows one of my favorite soapboxes to get on is the self-care soapbox. (laughs) Anything related to self-care, I do argue it expands time. In fact, I released a very short podcast. It's about five minutes where you can test this. People will say, I don't I don't see how that's possible. But one of my favorite quotes goes something like, if you don't think you have time to meditate for 20 minutes, then you need to meditate for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so just think about that one for a second, right? I will put in the show notes, the links to the episode where I bring you through a really short exercise where you can, um, where you can test this time expansion technique and also an episode that I titled unleash your genius, the secret of self-care, because I think it's so important for doctoral students as they're engaging in a program that's so consuming emotionally, cognitively, even physically, because you're working at it long hours. This investment that you make pays off, not just in terms of degree completion, but relationships, your sanity, your health, it really is all encompassing. So I love that your second C capacity really calls to the forefront here. Do I have a contingency plan? Are there things I can delegate or let go? And hey, how am I doing here with self-care? Yeah. What else can you add? Counterintuitive as it is it really does make a difference. And so speaking of adding, my third C is community. So think about if you're in preparation mode, think about who are your extra brains and hearts and pairs of hands that you have around you? Who has brilliance that's complementary to yours? Who knows how to do things that are not your best thing? And make a list of these people. You know, I know that each listener out there has people who have said to them, I'm here to support you. Let me know how I can help you. And people are so well-intentioned when they say that and they mean it a lot of the time. But in a crisis, rather, this is a kind of an aside, if someone you know is in a crisis, instead of saying to them, let me know how I can help you, I'm here. 
make a specific offer because when someone is in a crisis, they don't have time to figure out how you can help them. They don't have the capacity for it. So you say something that comes easily to you that you like to do, like, want me to bring over dinner tomorrow night? Cause you know, I love to cook. Or can I come over and water your garden for the next week? Because I know how much you love gardening and you don't have time to do that right now. Offer something specific that comes easily to you. Chances are that will make a tremendous difference to the person you want to support in the crisis. That was me talking to you if you are trying to support someone through a crisis. Now I'm here trying to talk to you if you're preparing to be in your own crisis. Make a list of those people who have made those offers to you. And write down on that list, what are the things you can imagine that they could do for you based on their brilliance? This person's a great editor. This person will listen to me with a brain dump. That person will help me prioritize everything on my plate for the week when I'm just so overwhelmed. I don't know which small step to take first. That person loves to bring me food. Make a list of the people in your life who care about you, who want to support you and how they've helped you in the past or how you know they can help other people and post that somewhere on your refrigerator or something so that when you get to the point that you're overwhelmed, when you are facing an inevitable big challenge, even if it's a perfectly expected one, like my dissertation defense is coming up next Tuesday, look at that list and see who can help you as you're getting ready. I love that idea of the list. And I have encouraged students when they're first starting a program, hey, call together your community of support. Let them know that you're embarking on this journey, why you're embarking on it, and ask them point blank, what might you be able to do to help me on this journey and have that list handy? So wherever you are on your journey today, when you're listening to this, if you don't feel compelled to sit down and write that list, or you're not even sure where you would start, maybe put a call out to your community. Maybe it's on Facebook or a mass email saying, I'm in my doctoral program and I'm just now realizing I've never asked you, do you support me and how could you support me? Because from what I understand about how this process goes, there's probably going to be a time that I'm in crisis mode and I'm going to need you. So I'd like to create my list now. Yeah. I love that intentionality, Heather. It's so smart to advise people to bring that up in the beginning because I've worked in academia at Harvard and at MIT. And I've watched many of my close friends go through the process of being in doctoral programs. I know that no one who has ever gotten a PhD has done it all by themselves. It's just not possible to do it all by yourself. Yes, it's your PhD, but it takes a village to get a doctoral degree. Being really clear with your village up front and engaging them. It's such a fantastic idea. As we're going through these three C's, I'm really thinking these are just awesome life hacks for everyday life. They become very significant and salient if you're going through a crisis and you can say to yourself, okay, I'm having a crisis moment or I'm trying to deal with this situation. What are the three C's? Let me walk myself through them. But in terms of just exercising this muscle, this resiliency muscle, These are just awesome things to think about day to day, whether you're in a doctoral program or not. Right. Right. It's true. And, you know, like I said before, we've all gone through crises in the past and there'll be more coming our way as long as we're, you know, continuing to have the gift of living. 
And the one thing that I know from the crises that I faced is that I am resilient because I've gotten through every single one. Did it work out perfectly? Maybe not exactly perfectly, but here I am. I'm still here stronger for it. And resilience is just building those layers of success through difficulty and having the confidence that you can get through the next hard thing. This framework of thinking about how to navigate a crisis was so helpful. I'm wondering, do you have any favorite quotes that you like to share or maybe some final words of wisdom? It's a quote that is from a lyric of a song that talks about how a pearl, a beautiful pearl is created through pressure. And I cannot give you the accurate song lyric I'll look for it and you can put it with the show notes. But that's important for me to remember because resilience comes out of difficulty, but also other beautiful things come out of difficulty. And I know that it's so hard to see what those things might be when you're right in the midst of crisis. But I like to remind people, beauty will come out of this that you couldn't have anticipated when you look back on it. What a perfect way to end today's episode. Deborah. thank you so much. I will have how people can connect with you. The lyric, you can get me. I'll put that in the show notes as well as those links to the other episodes I mentioned. And I can't wait to have you back in the new year where we're going to do something really exciting. So listeners, stay tuned for that episode. Do you want to give them a little preview? I created an assessment that looks at whether or not you are hyper-competent. Hyper-competent is when you are so good at getting things done, it, you're too good at it for your own good. And I myself have been hyper-competent and I can imagine a lot of your listeners and viewers and you also have a history of being hyper-competent. So we're going to share that assessment with people. You can look at your type and you can see what are the underlying issues driving you to be hyper-competent instead of highly functioning competent. That's what we're going to talk about. And I will put that link in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Deborah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. The Happy Doc Student Podcast is brought to you by expandyourhappy.com. And you can learn more there. Oh, and hey, if you want to make my day, would you rate, review, and subscribe to this show? One more thing, just a quick reminder that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only.